rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mozart Hummus Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Damien. All right, buddies. This week, we bring you a very special episode. This week, we bring you Mr. Dave Haas. Now, Dave Haas is mostly well-known as being the front man for the Philadelphia pop, rock, punk act, The Loved Ones. Uh, he has just recently started out on a solo career about two years back, and it's uh, picking up steam. I was lucky enough to uh, meet Mr. Dave Haas at the Revival Tour in Denver uh, just a couple weeks ago. I also got to hang out with him in Fort Collins at the Revival Tour, and I'm going to be completely honest, I think I kind of freaked Mr. Dave Haas off. Freaked him off. Freaked him out. Whatever. Uh, you know, it's one of those things I found that whenever I do so much research, it kind of weirds people out, and they're like, oh, man. Ended up uh, hanging out with Mr. Dan Smith from Listener. If you're familiar with the talk, the um, spoken word talk music band Listener. He is now living in Denver, Colorado. I gave him a call. And I was planning on interviewing him, but that didn't quite work out because we just had too much fun hanging out. Uh, anyway, so me and Dan Smith are hanging out, and then we find out the secret location of the Revival Tour after party in Denver, which is right at Deer Pile, right above City O City, where we got to watch uh, the wonderful Mr. Joe Ginsberg propose to his wonderful, beautiful girlfriend. Very fine, fine, beautiful moment. <laughs> and Dave acted kind of weird and like, oh, man, what the fuck is this kid doing here? Oh, man, shit. But it could all just be in my head, and it probably is. But I am a weird, fat, creepy dude uh, with uh, huge man crushes on guys like Dave Haas and Chuck Reagan. Um, we had planned to do a two-part episode. And by we, I mean me. Planned to do a two-part episode I was going to do. I'd been working on scheduling an interview with Tim from Rise Against. Finally ran into Tim. Tim recognized me, kind of, sort of. He knew me from somewhere. Couldn't figure out where. We started bullshit, and I'm like, hey, man, I'd love to interview you tomorrow in Fort Collins uh, since the Rival Tour was here for two days in a row. He was like, yeah, man, give uh, give the team a, a buzz, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, I gave the team a buzz um, due to hangovers and baseball and me day drinking at the fine Fort Collins breweries. We uh, missed out on interviewing Tim from Rise Against. And if I had known how awesome a guy Rocky Vadolato was, like, I knew he was an awesome guy, but man, I got to hang out with him for a good 15, 20 minutes at the after party and in between the shows. And uh, he was just a really damn good stand up gentleman. Um, I've been a fan of his for years, but it kind of stopped listening to him. He had kind of fallen to the late wayside and I, I seriously regret that because he's a goddamn fantastic musician. And uh, I talked to him for a good chunk of time and uh, he will definitely be on the show in the near future. Uh, we're probably going to work on doing something with Tim from Rise Against in the near future as well. It'll probably just be a phone interview, but hey. It's cool. I can do that in my underwear. Do that in my underwear, but I can do it all day long. Uh, so, yeah, we bring in Mr. Dave Haas and loved ones. Uh, I, I I was always a big, huge Kid Dynamite fan, and I was living with my buddy Devin, who was working on uh, – he's a computer programmer for the Department of Defense. He had nothing to do, so he would sit and surf MySpace all day. That's that's how long ago this was. He would surf MySpace, and he came home one day and was like, I found this band called The Loved Ones. It's got members of Kid Dynamite. Well, I took one listen and fell in love. Uh, unfortunately, I only got to see the loved ones once. Uh, at the time, I didn't have a car, and we went to go see Less Than Jake, and the loved ones got to open for Less Than Jake. It was one of the best fucking shows I've ever been to, I think. I can't exactly remember it because there were a lot of beers consumed. Uh, but I have a loved ones hoodie that I've worn, 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 worn out ever since then. Uh, big, huge fan. Both their albums are fantastic. The EPs are both worth checking out. Uh, today, we're going to focus mostly on his acoustic stuff since he just put out a uh, – he just re-released his newest – solo LP resolutions on Rise Records. He did a bunch of really cool stuff. He did a seven-inch series where he'd uh, have different takes of the songs and on the B-sides, different covers. Um, definitely, those are definitely, definitely, definitely worth checking out. And Rise Records, man, those guys keep just 
uh, bringing in a very diverse lineup. I'm actually pretty happy. Um, they're taking care of a lot of my favorite bands and favorite upcoming bands. So, killer record label. Uh, thanks, guys, for doing what you're doing. I don't necessarily like your metalcore shit, but, uh, you know, you got to pay them bills somehow, right? Just put out my uh, Hot Water Music Dave Haas records. Uh, anyway, Revival Tour. This is probably the best Revival Tour I've been to. I've only been to this year and last year, so I guess I'm not... Whatever, dude. I don't, I don't have that much to talk about to bring up on. But I uh, only went this year and last year, and it was a fantastic experience. Uh, this was, year was definitely the better of the two. Uh, I got to hang out a little bit with Miss Jenny O, who I was very saddened to find out was not Miss Jenny Owen Youngs. But oh well. Uh, she was rad, too. Um, geez, what else? What else do I want to talk about? I guess that's it. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, play a song from uh, Resolutions. It's Dave Haas's new record. Uh, well, recently re-released on rise records um we joined him on the revival tour tour bus i apologize there is some sound we're sitting right above the uh engine so to speak so there's some of that sound going on and and the tm and all those dudes are coming in and out so there's door slam and whatnot so it's not the perfect best perfect audio in the world but it's kind of like you get to sit on the tour bus with the revival tour with me interviewing dave haas uh thanks dave for the beer thanks dave for the interview and um just here, we're gonna we're gonna open this up with uh, the song "Come On Kid, Come On." Actually, I think it's just "Come On Kid," but "Come On Kid" uh, off Resolutions. You can get that now off Rise Records. Please pick it up. This is "Come On Kid," Dave Haas. Like you finished before you start Things got ugly for a while back there No one thought that you wouldn't pull through Late at night when the phone would ring There's no telling what you would do Sometimes we yell and act mad as hell Sometimes we act like we didn't care Some of our love was just suffocating And left you turn and move And gasping for air Come on, kid, come on it's one foot and then the other Everybody needs a hand sometimes Everybody needs a brother Well, come on, kid, come on I'm reaching out to you Get out of bed, kid, face the world And show us what you can do I'm sorry I was always casting stones Like my glass house couldn't be smashed I'm spinning, spinning neck as wide as a lion I was lucky that I never cracked But look, I've never really been no angel I see a lot of myself in you This little town could be a lot like prison An angry young man Angry young man Always got something to prove Yeah, we always got something to prove She promised you that she would stay 
All right, buddies, before we get into this interview, we'd like to welcome back our sponsor, the Denver Comic-Con. That's right, Denver Comic-Con, May 31st through June 2nd in the Denver Convention Center in beautiful Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. Uh, this year, I mean, they've outdone themselves this year. They've got a huge collection of guests that I, it just blows my mind. I mean, we've got motherfucking uh, the dude who plays Jiminy Cricket on uh, ABC's Once Upon a Time, a show that I... Uh, begrudgingly admit that I will Netflix watch. We got Jamie Callis. He played Baltar on uh, Battlestar Galactica. We got Stan the Man Lee, friends. Stan the Man Lee, creator of Spider-Man, X-Men, Incredible Hulk, Fantastic Four. I should say co-creator, but still, you, you guys get the picture. We got motherfucking Chewbacca. Mr. Peter Mayhew is going to be there. We've got Will Wheaton from Stand By Me and Star Trek Next Generation. And, of course, Big Bang Theory, where he plays himself. And then, of course, speaking of Star Trek, we've got George Takai from the original Star Trek series of films and movies. He's also internet celebrity to the stars and gay rights activist. Hopefully I get to sit down and shake that gentleman's hand. We got one of my favorite comic book creators in the entire world, Mr. Matt Wagner, creator of Grindel and Mage. And then the list keeps going on and on. We got other comic creators like Joe Kelly, Dini O'Neill, uh, Peter Beige, creator of Hate. And he's done a ton of album art. Let's see, who else? Who else? We got Felicia Day, the beautiful red-headed... Um, co-star of Eureka. She was on Buffy. She's on Supernatural. And she is the creator of the internet sensation, The Guild. And, and the list just keeps going on and on and on. I, I Man, Paul Ryan. We got Bill Jimmis. We got Robin Thorson. We got Herb Trim. Man, list goes on and on and on, buddies. So please check out DenverComicCon.com right now. Again, that is going to be May 31st through June 2nd at the Colorado Convention Center in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Buddies, I hope to see you there. So I'm hanging out on the Revival Tour bus with Mr. Dave Haas. How you doing? I'm well. How about yourself, man? Great. Yeah, it's Haas, not House. It's Haas, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten in, uh, I've accidentally Twittered at Dave House yeah, several times. That's an uh, English, Drunk- English singer-songwriter, nice guy, great great writer within uh, um, 
Oh, what the hell? Pacer. He's in a band called Pacer. Nice. Yeah, great guy. Um, so, you are, of course, named after your father. Indeed. How is it? How how does it feel to have that the same name as your father? Is that a lot to live up to? Uh, he's a great guy. Yeah, it's a lot to live up to in terms of his uh, his musicianship and his uh, just overall, you know, standing in the community and all that stuff. He's a great guy, working class guy. Um, but you know, it's I always tease him that it was a bad idea to name me after <laughs> him because you know now he has to deal with. There's been a couple mix-ups that are pretty funny. <laughs> the, the one of them is there's a radio station that has started to play my solo material, and I guess played the loved ones a bit, um, called WKDU, and he's a big fan and actually reached out to one of the DJs. And, you know, it was a little bit of initial confusion. Like, wait, are you Dave Haas, or are you reaching out for your son? Or, you know, <laughs> like... But, uh, you know, just... it's He's a good guy, and I'm proud to be his son. Hopefully, making him nice. Uh, when did you realize like the significance behind that? Uh, well, I think when you start putting your name on shirts and yeah. and records and things like that, you know, he. I, I just recently played a, a big show in Philly with Flogging Molly, and I had a banner. And, <laughs> oh, I like that you hung you hung my name up and nice. lights. You yeah. know, it's a pretty funny goof, but uh, uh you know. It's, it's weird that transition from, from being behind a band to putting your own name on <laughs> merchandise and stuff. But yeah, that's that's probably when it, it dawned on me. And he plays music too. What kind of music does he play? He's a he's a Christian guy, and so he plays a lot of uh, sort of contemporary Christian music. He plays hymns and stuff too, and he's real active in his church. And and he's the worship leader, and you know, so that's that's his vibe and clearly not mine <laughs> right but heads on that to some degree but we just avoid it talk about guitars and baseball he's a he's a laid back guy so it doesn't really have to come up that often but uh yeah he uh he but he's into classic rock and singer-songwriter music that's what basically how i got into music yeah. was he's a musical family he was a big fan of you know of all that stuff anything from chicago to to uh, dire Straits <laughs> to the Police to uh, Jackson Brown, Billy Joel, Springsteen, Tom Petty—all that stuff was. That's where I mean, and the Beatles and and, and Dylan were huge. Yeah. So those were like my building blocks musically. So uh, yeah, it's a big part of my musical ego. Yeah. So I like to ask people their earliest memories of music, and I take it it's your father playing and always being around it. Yeah, yeah. There was this. There's this really kind of. Uh, really vivid memory of uh, when I was eight there was a huge pop band called the Hooters and they they had uh, and we danced and all you zombies and a couple big radio hits come out of Philly so they were hometown heroes and on the cover of all the local papers nice. and they looked cool to me at eight and uh, my dad bought the record and I loved it they were like my first band that they were like mine you know he liked them but he said, oh, they're not the Beatles and clearly they weren't but not to me. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And they, and they, uh, his, one of his best buddies, he was like, you know, we called him uncle. He wasn't a blood uncle, but, uh, he took me to see the Hooters. And we were in the last row at the Tower Theater. I'll never forget it. And he said, when that first note hit, my little eight year old head just about exploded. It was so loud and so scary and so rad at the same time. And so there was that that happened along with, 
uh, Brothers in, Lar- in Arms had come out, the Dire Straits record, uh, uh, Born in the USA came out yeah. right around then. I was like seven, eight. Um, damn, the Torpedoes had already been out, but the police put out Synchronicity. It was a big rock and roll couple years, you know, where like giant, great songwriters were... Or, or great songwriters were becoming giant, ubiquitous acts. Yeah. So, uh, and I just remember sitting watching the turntable go around and looking at the layouts to those records and just having it blow my mind. And that was like, you know, the the architecture of what I guess I ended up wanting to do. Nice, yeah. So. Yeah, that answers my question without me even having to answer it. That's <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so, I mean, I, I take it from a very early age, you've wanted to do music. Yeah. And you've had a pretty prolific career in front of this, you know, in front of the band and behind the scenes, you know, tour managing and roading. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a time where you're like, I just want to be a firefighter? Yeah. In fact, firefighting is the one other thing I wanted to do. That's crazy that you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, that was the one other thing, that and being the Lone Ranger. Those <laughs> were the three things as a kid I wanted to be. Lone Ranger, a firefighter, and a rock and roller, I guess. I mean, for lack of a better term. But uh, at some point, I'll take a little break and learn how to be at least a volunteer firefighter. Just because I want to do it. But uh, but clearly, this is a little bit less dangerous. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more glamorous. <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I've not, you know, I was a construction worker. I owned a construction company, you know, contractor, carpenter kind of vibe and uh, while the loved ones were going on just to keep right on the table and uh, you know, keep my house going and all that stuff and I'm happily not doing that anymore <laughs> right that's on. a rat race that you know we we were operating me and my partner were operating uh, the business during like a boom time so we made a lot of money and did pretty well for a minute and then the crash came and so that really influenced not only the writing of of uh resolutions but a lot this this next record that I'm about to put out in the fall uh, because once you have the rug pulled out from under you being told and you've been told your whole life that you can be anything by your culture whether it's your parents or your school or your church or whatever and realizing no you can't the game's kind of rigged and that working class promise is has eroded in America uh, it makes yeah. for an interesting wake up call in your mid 30s so Tell me, I'm, I'm in that boat myself, kind yeah, of. It's rough. Um, so, when did you first pick up your first guitar? Uh, I started playing when I was 12. My dad had an old clunker, his first guitar, you know, Sears kind of vibe. I can't forget what the brand is, it's still kicking around somewhere. <laughs> but uh, just figured out a couple little chords, and by that point, um, you know, I think I was into like, at that point, it's probably into like Aerosmith and starting to get closer and closer to like dangerous rock and roll and stuff, you know, or what I perceived to be that. Iron Maiden was right on the horizon and Metallica and all that stuff. I started to drift from pop and rock to like, I guess metal. It was I was right about that age. I had a couple older buddies that were into Iron Maiden and Metallica, and then I just from there it was like punk, you know, like you look at the T-shirts of your favorite bands and it's the Misfits and and the Clash and the Ramones and all that kind of stuff and I was headlong into that because I was into you know went to Christian school so that was like as cool as you could be you could be this little outlaw punk shithead that could uh, wear a shirt with a skull on it and get thrown into the principal's office and make a big stink so yeah it's uh right around then I started playing guitar and learning those songs and 
but it was right before the punk the punk influence that I started to play. I remember taking lessons at a local uh, guitar shop, and I went in, and the guy was good. You know, he was obviously knew what he was doing. Give me a song you want to learn, and I learned "Angel" by Aerosmith from Permanent Vacation. <laughs> so uh, he was like, "Are you sure you want to learn this?" I was like, "Yeah," because I figured maybe you know get me some babes or something. It's like a ballad. <laughs> nice. <coughs> All right. Um, what in? I take it so you went to church school. Is that where you learned to sing? Kind of. Yeah, kind of. A lot of church. Uh, initially, the church I went to was hymns, so you really learn harmony and melody, or at least the the, con- the concept of it. And then they drifted into like m- like trying to update it to make it, the, you know, church a little more appetizing or something. It actually had the reverse effect because I said, "Man, this is so cheesy, this bait and switch bullshit." Where it's like it sounds like pop and rock, right? And so ultimately. Uh, uh, yeah, they, they, they. I did learn to sing in church, I would say, and then also took choir, you know, as a as an elective in school. And you know, I just wanted to hang around, you know, the couple girls that were in choir. But, <laughs> but it did help, you know. It did definitely helped. I took handbells as another elective. I went to a really weird, perverted little Christian school private school and so they didn't have a lot of options but I took the musical options I could but was way into like you know to punk and metal and stuff like that at that point so it was interesting but yeah I'd say I pretty much learned to sing in church Uh, when did you start writing like and not necessarily music did you ever write for pleasure like short stories and stuff like that I did I did I was encouraged to write by a 6th grade teacher uh, that I you know she I guess she saw some kind of little yeah. And she, she was like, you know, I remember her writing me a note like, you know, make sure you send me your first book. <laughs> I should probably send her the first couple records. Maybe I did. I, I intended to, but uh, once, I guess right around that time, we started. There was a talent show in the eighth grade that I figured we better write a song for and enter. And uh, so that was my first foray, and I think we just clunked around with some crappy little riffs put together a decent song and and uh, and entered the talent show and, and did pretty good and you know that was like so that was eighth grade so maybe 14 started writing heavy metal music or whatever the first band was Vespertilian it was, uh, <laughs> that was Latin for creature of the night we thought that was pretty cool which is so lame but whatever it's but, how, cute. but how old were you 14 I mean yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then later we did a we me and my buddies, a couple of the same same little scene of us, did uh, Step Ahead. It was like a positive hardcore band. And by that point, uh, you know, we were way into like Sick of It All, New York hardcore, and even some West Coast hardcore, DC hardcore music. And also, punk had a huge resurgence, you know, with Green Day and all that. We were into all that stuff too. Yeah. So, Step Ahead was some kind of weird hybrid of like our melodic roots and. and Liking catchy songs and then wanting to be like moshy and stuff. It was, it was pretty. It was actually pretty good. It wasn't as bad as you'd think. And I was probably seventeen by then. Um, so yeah, there was just a couple little clunky bands through high school: Vespertilian, Inhumane, and then Step Ahead. And then from there, Kid Dynamite. 
exploded on the East Coast. At least my perception was that they exploded. They did well. And we were kind of friends with them, and they needed a roadie. And me and my buddy Colin, who was in another band, were like, he had a truck. So we were like, well, fuck it, we're the roadies. We got a truck. And they were like, all right, if you drive our gear. And we got along. And that kind of flowed into the death of Step Ahead and and me being out on the road. And the first tour I did was with, it was about a week of it, I did with them and Good Riddance and uh, Ensign or something like I forget who I was. I just watched a documentary again last night, and I've, I... One is it in my eyes, maybe something. Uh, like that. Yep, in my eyes, yeah. sick of it all. There was like they would do these little bits and bobs, and I would get to meet everybody, and you know, you know, for me, sick of it all was like a big deal. Yeah. And uh, and then from from doing that, we uh, we started a band called The Curse. Me and my buddy Brendan, who was also in Step Ahead and actually played drums on Resolutions, my best bud in the world. We started that, and you know, it was definitely Kid Dynamite influenced. It was fast and screamy, and and melodic but their songs were a minute long you know it was really just very genre specific that didn't last long we got a lot of tours we got a lot of great shows we played with Fugazi we toured with Avail got shows with Sick of It All it was really fast and but it was a growing experience for me because ultimately what I realized was I didn't want to play hardcore music I wanted to be I wanted to write songs that had more of an appeal and we just did a Curse reunion we opened for The Souls at their uh, Home for the Holidays show. You know, we, it was like 10 years after the curse had sort of dissolved. And playing that music, man, it was so intricate, and, and I think we were really pretty good at it. But it was so funny how much energy you put into a genre that is never going to get you laid. It's never going to get you fans. I mean, there's just always a ceiling on it because it's yeah. so specific. And it, we just had a good laugh at that, you know. Like It was cool. You know, it was a statement. It was where we were at. But ultimately, for me, like... I, I wanted to write songs that could appeal to a broader base and, and that were more based in my childhood influences, you know, like, um, and that's, I think, what the loved ones became, you know, it was like, it was punk influenced, but it was three guys that liked songs and were focused on songs, and so just played through that sort of punk prism. So uh, it was, I think that's why... So you can see sort of a natural mm-hmm. musical progression through all this, where it's like you end up back right where you started, you know, and, and it took all those years of figuring it out to now, me, I'm just trying to play a sort of a traditional American rock and roll thing with like a, as modern of a flavor as I can put on it without fucking it up, right? making it interesting. So nice. It seems like uh, you just happen to be the right place at the right time for you. Do you... I, I, I ask bands this occasionally, and they they never they're like no. But do you believe in destiny at all? Maybe you're supposed um, to go this route. I, I don't. Yeah. Well, I think. No, I don't know that I do. I think that <laughs> I think that once. I mean, I haven't, in my eyes, like made it or anything like that. I mean, yeah. on one hand, nobody knows who the fuck I am. On the other hand, I'm sitting on a tour bus playing with established songwriters, getting paid selling merchandise growing my thing about to put out my second record I've made it you know like and and as far as like the little eight year old of me is like holy fucking shit we get to play on a stage that big so it's a it's a weird thing but I do you know when you're in it you're working your ass off I work 
so fucking hard at this. Whether it's songwriting, whether it's playing shows, like this is twenty nine shows in a row. This revival tour that I'm doing, and then I fly right to Europe and do twelve, and I fly right to Australia and do a support tour. Now, granted, those are great opportunities and awesome tours that most people would kill to get on, but the actual uh, work that you put in, putting one foot in front of the other and trying to make sure you don't get sick and make sure you always put a good show on, keep your perspective right and all that stuff is hard fucking work. So the, the destiny part of it is a little like, <laughs> do you make your own destiny? Probably a little. Nice. If You know, you take, like opportunities I think present themselves to people who work hard. Uh, but I feel, that said, get opportunities, it doesn't mean anyone's going to care about what you're doing. So it's this weird balancing act of like wanting to always feel fortunate for any support you get from any fan or any other band or anybody giving you something that they don't need to give you. And then also being like, I do work hard, you know. So destiny, yeah, maybe a little. There's a little of that in there. There's a little luck. And there is talent that you can't quite quantify. But a lot of it is like sitting down and grinding it out. Nice. I uh, I just told, I watched the Kid Dynamite documentary again last night. I got to say, like you and Colin are my favorite part of that documentary. <laughs> I've, I've even sat down and uh, I don't remember, li- it, but I know I listened to the commentary on it too. So yeah, that, I, I just love it. That was uh, we. I've heard that more than once. That like yeah. we were, the, I mean, we're kind of like the comedic yeah. relief in yeah. this. You know, the story's the story's pretty interesting. It's not that like, I mean a band born out of the ashes of another band that yeah. did pretty well blasted through and made two records and that was that it's it's not like the most compelling rock and roll story it's you know it's certainly not making rumors yeah. you know back. but I do think like that we added at least something to it you know we were part of the, the culture of that band and definitely had a lot of fun and you know hopefully our little part in it is gives people a, a smile yeah well, I, I remember watching it the first time I'm like man and the loved ones had already been around for a bit and I'm like I want to meet that guy I want to be <laughs> friends with that guy and like here we are it's, yeah. hopefully hopefully we'll be best friends forever now. yeah here we but, go uh, you still hang out with Colin and all those guys I do I do I don't see um, I don't see them all I see Michael because he was in the loved ones and, yeah. and he played on resolutions and we're still in touch a lot I see Dan Dan's so busy Jason here and there, we, we made the video for Time Will Tell together. He shot that video, nice. the Martin Scorsese one. Um, and uh, I don't see Dave that often, <laughs> but uh, I do see, um, I see Colin a lot, as much as often as I can. I mean, we've maintained a, a friendship and done lots of things over the years. We keep talking about doing like a hardcore band, which we'll probably nice. do uh, maybe next year, but... Um, yeah, he came out to the Philly show with his wife, and we had a blast. I just actually got a Colin tattoo. Nice. It's a, a little crude rendering of his face that a bunch of us got. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. He's a, he's a dear friend and a lifelong friend. I, I met him very briefly on one of the uh, No More, I think, I think None More Black only toured like twice, and it was one of those tours I met him on that. Yeah, he's yeah. A, crazy guy he's a crazy guy but he's got a heart of gold and and uh yeah and i'm, I'm fortunate to, cool. to even know him so you worked you know you roadied for kid dynamite you worked with the souls sick of it all too right uh, it was uh it went kid dynamite then sick of it all which i can somewhere imagine somewhere in there i worked for the luna chicks for a summer but uh 
that was short-lived. It was mostly mostly sick of it all in the souls. And the souls was a lot longer than any, yeah. any of them. I'm sure you learned a lot of valuable lessons that you brought to the loved ones and yeah, and this too. Yeah, and there well, yeah, a lot of that was, and there were a lot of connections made. I mean, let's face it, you meet yeah. a lot of people, and we caught a little little shit like, oh, your first shows with Hot Water Music and the Souls, and, and your second shows with the Trio, and da 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 da. Which I get that jealousy yeah. part of it. I'm sure people were like, what the fuck? But one, we were a good band. We played well, and two. I just called the friends that I know. Like, if, if I knew a bunch of guys from West Philly and I hadn't been on tour for all those years, those were the bands I would have played with, you know? Like, I just called the people I knew <laughs> who were having shows. So it's a little... It was a little funny, but, yeah, a lot of those lessons about what not to do and what to do, I mean, those guys gave me tons of advice. Yes. And, and and I spent a lot of time working for the Explosion, too, right. which was really pivotal in my life because of the way that they approached touring. They were really fun they made sure it was always fun they only did shit that was fun <laughs> and and those you know two of those guys ended up in a band those guys are some of my best friends in the world and, yeah. and gave me such valuable lessons but basically Dave from The Explosion and Pete from The Bouncing Souls and Brian were like we're firing you so that you can go do the loved ones nice. and then they would ask me to go on other tours <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah they, they were pivotal in, in not only influencing the band but also Encouraging the existence of the band. Nice. Um, so uh, you're doing the solo thing. Every interview I read brings up the loved ones. Do you ever get tired of it? Are you like, I'm doing this other thing now. I don't want to talk about the loved ones. Well, there's nothing really to talk about. You know, yeah. there's. I'm playing a show every night on my own and making records. And the new record I just made is better than either of the loved ones records. It's fucking. It's a big. Deal. Yeah. It's like a big statement. It's pretty, without saying it's a concept record, it all ties together. It's themed. It's essentially what would have been the third Loved Ones record. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I appreciate that people were impacted by it, what we did, but we're not really doing much of it. So, yeah. I love the shit out of it. I have the, uh, the hoodie that your tattoo. Oh, yeah. The I have that heart. hoodie that I wear all the damn time. Oh, cool. I yeah. loved it. I felt, I feel good about the two records we made and the tours that we did. Uh, you know, it's hard to keep a band together when you're in your 30s and you're right. not super yeah. famous. You know, it's like to be a working class musician at that level, while you have families and wives and apartments and homes and mortgages, is not easy. And uh, that was, yeah, we'll cool. see. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how scary was it to step in front of that audience for, by yourself for the first time? Scary. I had done a couple. You know, plenty of little like record store appearances where we would play acoustic or do three songs or whatever. But I didn't know how to properly perform, or I didn't really know how to play acoustic guitar in the in a way that's like not hammering away at it. And I was over singing because I'm used to like halfway screaming, and it took a little while. But thankfully, I had enough. I was paying attention, and I was getting pretty good opportunities to to play. I mean, the first headlining solo thing I did was in Philly and it sold out right away so that I added a second show that night so it was baptism by fire and I had to rehearse it because uh, I didn't want to suck right. but um, I'm still learning man I mean that's a big reason why other than just the fun the camaraderie and the lack of ego on 
revival tour. It's also songwriting class and it's performing class. You can learn something from every one of these people, yes. and you're around them 24/7, and you're sound checking with them, and you're uh, learning how they put chords together and melodies, and it's a learning experience. And and uh, it was scary though. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, right now you're doing. You've done tours of Flogging Molly. You're about to go out with Social D. You've done Gaslight. It's just you, is it just you out there by yourself those nights? Yeah, I've done some headlining stuff when Resolutions first came out. Initially, I mean, it just got re-released. Yeah, but when it initially first came out, um, the East Coast shows did pretty well. We sold out some small rooms, and I put together most of the band that played on the record to do those East Coast shows. And so I have played with a band. I plan to play with a band, for, you know, when it becomes more viable. Right. But uh, for now, I'm just trying to establish what I do based around the songs, uh, especially when I'm supporting these big bands. Yeah. Budget's kind of low. So, you know, to me in an electric, me in an acoustic. Tonight it'll be just me in an acoustic. Cool. What's, it like, what's it like going out? Because I know Foggy, all those bands do huge arena shows. I mean, it's just little old you out there. Is that it's a risk and reward kind of thing. I mean, when you don't do it right or you fuck something up, it's, it feels awful because you're, cause you're, it's your name. It's not, there's no band or symbols or distortion to hide behind. But when you do it right, that reward is so much larger because you're like, well, I did it by myself. And, you know, to me, though, like, your job is to warm up the crowd and to kind of invite them to the night's party, whatever that party might be. <laughs> and for, you know, for me, like, of a great front man is, like, David Lee Roth or Dave King or, you know, those guys bring you in to a party. And there's sad songs and there's heavy, not so much with Van Halen, but, but that's the way I try to approach it and my job is to get people fired up and get them into the wave of whether yeah. it be Floggy Molly or now headlining I got a whole different vibe <laughs> because they're my songs and it's my aesthetic that I'm cultivating but uh, you just have to kind of gauge the room see what the vibe is and and go from there and do, you know trust your instincts cool been to lots of shows <laughs> so you start to kind of like be able to read the room you know what day of the week it is that's important whether or not people are going to have that, you know, if, if it's a Tuesday, it's a way different thing than a, than a Friday night. So you got to keep that in mind. I think a lot of bands lose that when they get way too big. Yeah. So, um, so you don't, do you do carpentry anymore at all? No, I mean, I haven't for, I remodeled a bathroom like, I guess it was, it's been a while. It's been about, it's been over a year since I put the tool belt on. <laughs> uh, is that something, I mean, do you like building things? You know, I do when there's no pressure. Right. It's, it's It can be really rewarding, but I found that to be a much gnarlier rat race than than the music business. And the music business can be yeah. gross. But uh, it, I, didn't, I don't have the same, like, romantic association with it that Chuck does because, I, you know, he's done a lot of it where... It, there was less of less of a rat race, I think. Like mm -hmm. he, he got his clientele was out in uh, like Malibu and stuff like that, where the money just rolls in. In Philly, what I was doing was like light commercial and then and then residential remodeling, which is it's rough, man. It's you know we did all right for a while, but it's not easy. It, it, contracting contractors and and restaurants are the two highest 
uh, failure rates for opening businesses. Yeah. And I know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's one of those weird and metaphorical questions, but uh, like, building is writing a song like building a cabinet in some sort of metaphorical way for you? Yeah, I'm not a cabinet builder, but it's more like it's the structure of a house. Like, in fact, one of the things that I became aware of, like making this record just now, was that having the sense of a framework. You know, if you have a good foundation, and then you frame a house properly, and you put the siding on right, and you drywall it correctly, and insulate it, and then you know, and the roofs sound and you're going to end up with a good product and you're going to sit down in the living room and not have squeaky floor or not have the stairs that are sloped or whatever, you know. And that can be applied to a record. you got to make sure that the tempo's right and that the, and that the song structure is correct. Yeah, there's, there's a parallel for sure. Um, you know, you want, you want the drums to be right because if you, the drums aren't right, by the time you go, you're putting vocals or guitar on, you, you got a mess. Same thing with the house. Like you can't fix it with the trim. You got to make sure you're. It's it's a lot harder to get a window in if you didn't do the framing properly. So, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely a parallel. Cool. Um, it's been 30 minutes. I'll start wrapping this up. Cool. But uh, I mean, let's see. Are you the actual headliner for the revival tour? Because your name's at the top of all the posters I see. Uh, there isn't a headliner. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I would think Tim. You know, rise against this in the enormous yeah. band. If there was one, but I think the whole concept is. Well, yeah, there's no headliner. There is no headliner. Yeah. And, uh, but no, I, I would think Tim. Tim will close it out. I'll probably play somewhere in the middle. Nice. Um, so, with. Uh, I talk a lot on this show about addiction to this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, me, me, myself, like the few tours I've done, like. I'm hooked. I can't. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever given it up. I, you know, I've given up on relationships and money and normal life and all that stuff. Do you, Do you think you could uh, ever stop, or is this kind of in your blood now for good? It's definitely in my blood for good. I don't think I could walk away from the life entirely ever. I yeah. think grinding it out this hard when you're 35 is one thing. When you're 45, it's probably another. Right. So. Uh, but I don't think I'll ever give up making up songs and playing them for people. That's what I live to do and what I love to do. I've done other things that do have more normalcy attached to them and do have, uh, you know, yeah, for sure. a little more of a parachute, I guess. But <laughs> but this is, I mean, I'm on, I'm in the circus, you know. It's, yeah. I'm, I'm hooked. I love playing, I love touring, I love being able to see my friends in various towns that I would never get to see. I, I don't like the idea of saying, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to Paris, or never going to get back to even Milwaukee, or, you know, someplace that's less glamorous, but it just is, I love it. I love it. It's a great life. Are you still the fun-loving prankster that you used to be, or have you chilled out? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love fun. <laughs> fun is fun. Um, some of the stories on that documentary, I'm like, man, you you have some of the best stories. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask for any, but like, do you do you think you put it out there in the world to get those those kind of experiences, or did I it just happen to? That, you? I think that yeah. Well, I think part of being part of the you know on a pirate ship or or sort of yeah associating yourselves with these lunatics that do this, you're gonna have good stories. You're gonna have fun. It's gonna it's gonna be a thing that. Um, you know, 
that begets more interesting right. experiences. But I definitely make sure that if there's a party, I try to be there. And if there's a if there's something fun or kooky going on, where I feel yeah. like the vibe might be, or some yeah, I like to put myself into those situations yeah, because, and I think like it's an opportunity few people get. So. Yeah. At least, if I can honor my friends and family when I come home with a couple good stories, yeah. you know that at least, <laughs> at least it makes uh, my lack of reliability or, or <laughs> me not being at their birthday parties or whatever at least maybe a little bit more, uh, a little bit more okay. Sure. Cool. Uh, so you. You finish this, you fly straight to Europe. What's next after that? Europe's headlining and, and doing two festivals. Um, then it's Australia and Hawaii with Castle sure. Anthem. Nice. Then it's Social D in the States. Uh, then I'll have a month or two off. I'm going to record a little bit more material. Uh, probably do sort of the B-side versions of the record. Just me and an acoustic or me and an electric, me and a piano get that out of the way and then the record will come out and then it'll just be right back at it right back at it heavy touring cool so right on. Busy B. well Dave I think I'm out of stuff cool man well thanks so much for the interview it was a, yeah. it was a good one and, I, and you know they're not always good so well thank you, I, you thanks, know, I try. thanks for you know putting the time in yeah my pleasure there. thank you for sitting with me sweet man well there you have it friends thank you to Mr. Uh, David Haas Sitting down, hanging out, talking with me. I know he was a busy man, had a lot of things to do that day, but took took some mighty fine little time out of his day to talk to little old me. Um, Dave, next time you're in Colorado, let's let's make friendship bracelets or something. Let's be best friends forever. I mean it. I'm sorry if I if I knew too much information about you and weirded you out, or just me being at the after party was weird. Sorry, Dave. I'm sorry. We'll do it again. Uh, anyway, buddies, uh, before we go, uh, one small little announcement I probably should have made at the beginning of the show. We're going to be, I'm going on tour with Arliss Nancy, wonderful little uh, punk rock and roll band out of Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, very much in the vein of Lucero meets, you know, uh, Chicago punk rock. Damn good stuff. I'm touring with them for about 26 days. We're going all the way out to the east coast of the Death of False Hope Festival in Durham, North Carolina. Then we're going to tour up the coast. They're going to Montreal, but my ass doesn't have a passport, and I'm set on my ass way too long to even get one. So I'm going to be sitting here, sitting in New York City for a few days, hanging out with some old friends. Uh, and then we're going to tour back home through like Indianapolis and Columbus and some other wonderful places. So visit mostanimouspodcast.com. I should have those tour dates up soon. We'll grab a beer. Maybe if you're in a band or if you're somebody cool or not cool, maybe we'll just do some podcasting on the road. So stay tuned for that. Um, all right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, we're going to leave you with another song off of Dave Haas's Resolutions, which is re-released now out on Rise Records. Uh, this is probably my favorite song on the whole record, and it's called Time Will Tell. Again, this is Dave Haas, Time Will Tell, off the Rise Records re-release of Resolutions. Good night, buddies. I've got blood all over my hands and my eyes on the strings It's pouring out all over all my favorite things Guilty heart is beating faster Every time I try to sing It seizes up And then my lungs begin to sting Well, only time will tell 
is it that early thirties thing Where some guys just go insane And the doctors give us lithium We're never quite the same Do we retreat to younger years to stop the pain? 